Hello, this is Tech Demand Weekly, a podcast for and about B2B content marketing. I'm Charles Commons, and along with my guests, I provide advice and hints and tips about all things B2B marketing. B2B brands finally seem to be waking up to the fact that people buy because their emotions play a part in telling them to do so. Emotive marketing has worked for years in B2C marketing. You only have to turn on the TV and wait long enough for a car advert to appear. The way car manufacturers target their audience by making them feel like they belong in their car is something that just doesn't happen enough in B2B. Today's guest, however, has advice on how it can be done. 95% of decision makers state that even before contacting a supplier, so, you know, if we're thinking of 60% through the purchase decision process before they're even starting to engage with the salesperson, 95% of decision makers state that they they need to feel a sense of connection to a supplier's brand. Market research is a a form of insurance which used at the front end to to build any any campaign, It, it can feed into it. Nick Haig is the co-founder of B2B International, a global B2B market research company. Their market research has led to successful brand repositioning, improved customer loyalty and retention, and enabling brands to reconnect with their all-important marketplaces. To start the podcast, I asked Nick why he thinks B2B is so far behind B2C when it comes to emotional marketing. I wouldn't think you'd be wrong, Charles, in saying we're behind. I think the, the B2B world has always followed followed suit from, from the B2C world, uh, you know, sometimes closely, sometimes there's a lag time there. Um, but I think it's this this realisation now uh, that, well, forging emotional connections with consumers has, has long been at the heart of, uh, of B2C or business-to-consumer marketing. And, and I think that it's this problem in a B2B sense, that it's the emotion is very mi- much misunderstood concept. Um, you know, it's it's easy to confuse the influence of emotion with the state of feeling emotional. Um, so we know that emotion is in play when we move to tears or laughter or feel the hairs on the back of our necks stand on end. But uh, and and obviously with the, with campaigns and mark B2C marketing, it's very very easy to to target individuals with that type of emotion and especially when they're making quick decisions maybe based on uh, materialism materialism um, occasionally colored with logic but uh, you know it, it might be more of a whim but I think emotion it, it can exert an equally strong influence without breaking the surface and I think this is where b2b marketing have started to tap into this in the last you know probably five years something like that but with you know that these these emotions of trust or confidence um concern and and suspicion they're all emotional responses uh, but they're just less consciously emotional responses that you know often produce less immediate effects Uh, but i think that the key is that they are no less influential uh and especially when it comes to to b2b decision making so uh, i think we we most of the most naturally associate emotional brand positioning with these impulsive purchase decisions, which we see in the B2C world. Um, and, and that's why the emotion tugging brands or campaigns or marketing are typically associated with B2C marketing. Yeah, I think for me, one of my go-to sort of um, examples of 
emotional B2C uh, advertising or marketing is BMW adverts. They kind of make you feel like you should or you belong or you you deserve to have a BMW. Um, it's not, you know, they're not adverts that make you cry or make you laugh or, or anything like that. They just they just kind of tap into that feeling of, I deserve this. And that's what makes you then go, I want a BMW, and you maybe go and purchase one. Um, it, it's not about actually going and, and making you outwardly, you know, have tears of, of either sadness or laughter I, I think yeah it's it's that head or heart isn't it you know what what what's the campaign talking to uh are they driven by emotions or this rational thinking and and i think in b2b the answer is definitely both i mean we'll, we can talk a, a bit more about it today in terms of the research we've carried out um but they are b2b buyers are are neither rational machines able to zone out feelings when making decisions nor are they just unpredictable and purely emotional you know it's it's a mixture of both and and that's what we wanted to do with our research to understand this balance or, or which had which people should focus more on uh, and you can't ignore one without the other so uh, it, it was a it, the old way of looking things was just a bit too simplistic and we wanted to create some research that uh, that really got to the nub and and give the answers to uh, to b2b marketers out there so, so what do you think's actually changed? Because you do kind of look at it and go, traditionally, B two B, obviously, you're selling business to business. Um, but obviously, there's people behind those businesses. The businesses don't exist without a, a human that created it in the first place, and 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 somebody that actually makes the decision of what they're buying. But maybe looking at it from the outside in, as I do. Um, maybe it seems in the past that businesses have kind of forgotten the fact that that they're selling, they're still selling to humans, even though it's uh, a business to business transaction. I think actually, you know, B2B International joined forces um, with Gyro, who are a B2B marketing uh, global agency. And, uh, and they've always positioned, you know, being able to tap into to ideas that are humanly relevant. Um, and I think, you know, we, we've worked in partnership with them anyway over the years. Uh, but I think it's, it is, it's no longer, you know, we're not just selling to, to corporates, of course. And there's this, there's this complicated decision-making unit that sits uh, within, you know, who's, who's key influencer and who signs a, a deal off, what understanding you know, across that DMU of uh, who to tap into. I think that's the difficulty often uh, that people are trying to understand, as well as the fact of, you know, we, I've already talked about it in B2C, it's, uh, it, it maybe it maybe is more of a quicker view, whereas in, uh, in B2B, it's, it's definitely a longer period of consideration. Uh, and this thought of pushing emotion out of the buying choices. But what we have seen is, um, you know, from research on average, customers normally progress actually 60% of the way through the purchase decision-making process before even engaging in a sales rep. So understanding and being able to speak to them, you know, via different channels and mediums uh, to, to trigger those emotions, it actually allows us, it because it's um, a longer buying decision, it allows us to, to, to influence emotions um, a lot deeper. And uh, and I think that's something that's that's definitely we, there's been you know 
obviously examples that uh, of how people have done that and and our research has shown in fact there was one strong statistic that came out of the research that uh, 95% of decision makers state that even before contacting a supplier so you know if we're thinking of 60% through the purchase decision process before they're even starting to engage with the salesperson 95% of decision makers state that they, they need to feel a sense of connection to a supplier's brand uh, and it's just as important uh, as feeling confident about what they do so the, the brand and and the emotions that sit around brand never mind just a campaign are so important yeah i i think i i there's also a stat that by the time when a b2b buyer comes to actually you know buy a product they, they've got 50 percent of the way through their decision making before they even speak to somebody when it comes to b2b whereas i suppose with b2c that 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 number must be a lot higher in a way because of the fact that you know you might see an advert and go yes i'm going to go and buy that that toy for my daughter or that that car for me based on the advert you, you the very small percentage left there actually at the end you go and test drive it to make sure you feel comfortable in the car or you go and make sure that that toy is available at your local your local toy shop um, but essentially once you're there you, you potentially just go ahead and buy um, whereas in b2b you get halfway and you've kind of got to the point right now we're going to go and speak to somebody, but there's still maybe six or seven people that have got, you've got to convince as the, as the seller to buy the product or the service in the end. And I think the key as well is that people are buying it on behalf of themselves. So there's got to be this personal uh, buy-in to, uh, to, you know, the, the decision they make, but they're also buying it with other people, you know, other people in that DMU and, and and the corporation or the company that they're buying it for as well. So I think it's uh, it, it's really it, it just means that it expands it out. In fact, there was some research. It's a few years old now, actually. It was done by Google and uh, and the CEB Marketing Leadership Council, but it was where they they spoke to three thousand purchasers. They, they hold a big bank of B two C brands, but they wanted to understand uh, the percentage that customers uh, felt emotional connection with brands and what they found they tested 36 b2b brands and aligned this next to their b2c brands um but they found that nine of these b2b brands outshone you know even the likes of apple mcdonald's uh, amazon nordstrom l'oreal there was lots of different strong you know powerful consumer brands in there um but the likes of Cisco, Oracle, Accenture, Deloitte, Salesforce, uh, FedEx, brands that people are using in an everyday B2B environment, but a big investment. Uh, and so, you know, in terms of you know, the, that emotional connection, they outshone all the different consumer brands in terms of individuals feeling more emotional connection to them. That's really interesting, but I suppose that then shows how how hard they have to work to actually make those relationships and and build them, rather you know a lot more than than you, they necessarily have to do in the B two C world. Yeah, I mean, I, at first I thought that's quite surprising, but I suppose um, with this high level of connection that people need to make with a or have with a B two B supplier and and lots of different individuals having that those interactions, it, it makes a lot of sense because I suppose I was using the analogy of if I go out there and, and purchase something as a consumer, the stakes are relatively low because, it, you know, in best case, 
if it's not right, I can return it. Or if not, you know, it's it's not a massive expense, and I just need to explain to my wife why I, uh, but why that's gone out of the bank account. Whereas business purchases, on the other hand, that just involve huge amounts of risk, responsibility. You know, taking SAP, which is one of those brands. Uh, multi-million dollar software acquisition that if it does go bad it can lead to poor business performance and even a, a loss of their job so it's uh, the business customer just this substantial emotional connection that they have in it to uh, to then overcome the risk i want to talk about the the article that i actually found you through on b2bmarketing.net um you say that market research is the answer to getting a deeper understanding of customers. It might be a really obvious question to ask because I'm sure there's 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 the listeners out there that are actually hearing this right now that they're probably going, "What do I really need to know about market research that I don't already?" Um, but but how would you say that market research actually improves marketing campaigns from your standpoint? Well, I think it's it's about speaking to the target audience out there and understanding the reasons they do the reasons why they uh, they do what they do and i think you know too often too often it's it's maybe on a hunch or a gut feel um and our research can be used as a guide to navigate you know the, the path in terms of owning that path to purchase uh not only in terms of you know where they look what channels that they might use so it can it can help in any marketing campaign not only to devise the actual uh main content uh and and which which emotions people might want to tap into but it can also you know help in terms of targeting to understand that whole elongated path to purchase uh where it starts you know which mediums they look at uh and where we should be talking to them so it's um if you like, market research is a is a form of insurance, which uh, you know used at the front end to to build any any campaign. Uh, it, it can feed into it, and I think you know from from our particular research, for example, uh, that we carried out. You know, we 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 had lots of different questions. Uh, we spoke to two thousand uh, business decision makers globally, in U.S., China, Western Europe. Uh, different countries within Western Europe, UK, Germany, uh, France, and Spain, um, and so we wanted to understand, you know, are there cultural differences in there? And uh, and what we found is that, uh, well, to to give you the the key takeaway from it all, uh, that was the the real interesting piece that fifty fifty six percent of the final decision uh, when you get down to the final two suppliers, um, they of course they, they've looking at lots of other suppliers in the early stages but when they 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 it comes down to uh, the the final two suppliers um then everyone delivers on the hygiene factors you know that of course they've got the right product or service at the right price they've got the capability to deliver that uh but 56 percent then is based on emotional factors as opposed to 44 percent, which is based on rational factors and i think you know, carrying out research and understanding that we we asked you know lots of different questions and uh, and crunched and analysed the data to understand that. And you know, without without market research, without speaking to people, without and sometimes it might be ethnographic, it might be observing how people uh, behave, then you wouldn't be able to get to uh, you wouldn't be able to get to, to some of the conclusions that uh, that could then build into your market research, your marketing plan. 
Is it the actual marketing re- market research that's important? Or is it the way that you end up analysing the results of it? Every year, and maybe I hate to say this and point this uh, this example out, but every year you watch The the Apprentice, whether you're in the UK or in America, on at least one or three of the episodes, the, the contestants will go out there and conduct their own market research only for them to either interpret it incorrectly or just completely ignore it. And of course, that makes for great TV because everyone's watching it going, but they've already told you not to call it that or not to target this particular age group. And yet you're going ahead with it anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and exactly. I mean, I, I love watching these programs too. And uh, is it, if you're if you're spending money and you know market research doesn't come cheap if you especially if you're doing it you know on a on a global scale but uh, if if you're not going to to take the advice of the market uh, then you know woe betide you but I think I think equally though sometimes uh, this is the problem with research that sometimes they might people might want to bias it so you know we see it sometimes with customer customer experience research where they might want to say oh well we'll do it in-house and of course you know then the salesperson only knocks on the door and gets the the feedback from his favored customers um or you know in terms of uh maybe the maybe the customer is not willing to uh, to talk the whole truth with a person that they've got a relationship with because they know it you know it might impact uh future uh, future relationships moving forward so th- there can be all different all different reasons why sometimes the researcher might they might ignore it or they might get the wrong result. But I think the key with market research is it's very simple uh, in terms of its premise. It's uh, first of all you cannot manage what you don't measure. Um, so otherwise you are just falling back on hunch or gut feel. So uh, understanding you know those measurements out there. But the, the key is it's very simple. You've got to ask the right question to the right people. Um, and you know we're all bombarded with questionnaires these days, aren't we? But uh, making sure that it is the right question, but equally to the right person, and and this in in B two B world, you know, understanding we might need to speak to multiple people in that decision making unit in order to understand who the key influencer is and what the uh, what the key reasons or, or requirements or needs that they have that we need to tap into when when targeting them. I think that's a, the perfect answer, really, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, there, there's no point in if you're a, uh, I don't know, a, a com- you've got a computer software service. Um, there's no point in you going and speaking to somebody that, that doesn't use computers in their business not that that you'll find anyone like that these days i'm sure but there wouldn't be any point in you going to somebody that actually has no interest in your business in the first place um you need to as you say ask the question to the right people first otherwise you will get skewed data that will misinform you it, it will definitely, and sometimes, you know, what what we do is analyze and crunch data together. So we, we go out there and collect primary data, and then we might, uh, you know, start to, to bring that together with our clients' internal data. And, you know, far too often I have conversations around the table where we're looking at internal metrics that they might be looking at, such as, you know, OTIF and, uh, and other measurements like that. But actually, when you're starting to look at the you know, what they're measuring of on time in full, it's not always the true sense of what they're delivering to the customer because it's it's based on their own, you know, when it leaves their doors. But what happens if they didn't have 
the or there was a lag time in terms of the product being made because it wasn't quite on the shelf or in the country and so that that OTIF model or the OTIF metrics sometimes isn't true as well so you've got to make sure that it's the right metrics um, in order to, to guide you to to make the right decisions. Do you ever get a client once you've carried out your research and you're basically providing them with the um, the analysis of it do you, do you ever get clients come back to you and sort of say no that that can't be right or i don't believe it or you know because they may be thought to themselves i know my customer base i know what they're thinking i know what they need and when you then present them with uh, you know facts and statistics that that show actually you're not quite right they're, they're a bit taken aback by it no, we don't actually, because I think when we're, when we're delivering the results, you know, we've got such evidence, both quantitative and qualitative, you know, we can use individual case studies of, you know, well, you know, customer X, you know, this is, this is how they talk. And we, so we come back with such evidence that uh, that can never be refuted. I think often when delivering results, people say, oh, you're not telling me anything new. I already knew that. And, and actually, you know, sometimes it's justifying so that they can move with confidence. And that's fine, you know, if, if that's the case. So people might sometimes say that. But I think that's why we often like to run workshops and get a, quite a wide base of stakeholders from the client side based in that front end workshop. So we can understand what they truly do need and we can uh, so we don't we don't get questions or, or answers like that at the back end saying, are we not telling us something new? Because we'll always be telling them something that they didn't know uh, because they don't have this information to hand. Yeah, I, I think that's probably actually something that you must sort well, I, I imagine that you would you would go in, you, you're kind of conducting your own research into your client first and into what they're sort of expecting so that therefore when you then go out and carry out the work that they're paying you for, you, you can provide them with answers rather than giving them something that they already knew and then they end up kind of going, well, why have I paid you to tell me that? Um, I, I, can, I can completely see, you know, exactly what you're doing there. You're essentially just narrowing the brief and, and making sure you've got everything you need from them. Um, can, can you talk us through, Nick, any sort of examples that you might have of marketing campaigns that have benefited from, from good market research? Again, tied in with I've already talked about the the coming together of B two B international and and gyro, and there's a few different examples of how we've how we've gone to market, we've carried out market research, and then we've fed that into how gyro have developed you know different campaigns. I mean, one actually going back to our thought leadership piece of research on the winning with emotion, the, the power of emotions. And um, what we did find in that piece of research, and it's similar to what we found with, with our client that I'll talk you through, that especially when targeting enterprise uh, decision makers, uh, that actually, you know, when they're making a decision in this path to purchase, uh, 40% of enterprise decision makers state that they consider a supplier based on its thought leadership content. You know, so understanding how what they know about a marketplace, but uh, but especially in terms of the solutions they might be delivering into that, and and that thought leadership piece was was very much uh, part of a part of a the marketing campaign that then Gyro developed uh, for a, a large telecoms company, which was targeting uh, it was a European based pan European based program, uh, but this large you know, 
global telecoms company, uh, started to position themselves when speaking to enterprise, mid-market, and some somewhat into the SME market uh, about informing them of what they needed to do to to uh, to be ready for the future, both in terms of you know digital, uh, but also telecoms as well, and and so building a community feeding uh, thought leadership research into that was uh, was very much how they started to, to tap in and, and position themselves with uh, with emotion essentially that research has, has has really shaped the type of marketing campaign that then went on there so you know if, if that higher number 40 percent is going to actually say well we we take into account what thought thought leaders say over other things then then obviously that then would lead you into and and i'm guessing here gyro basically went out and said right well how we'll actually tell you what to do and why you should have our business or you know buy from us is by getting thought leaders to tell you this is what you need to do to future proof yourself or, or or whatever and then sort of basically tag on the back of that and we can provide that to you yeah and i think that's where that's where research is so invaluable to to clients at an early stage if they're creating thought leadership or content or a marketing campaign because you know we we cannot we cannot speak to everyone can we so we need to understand uh and you know down to that 40 percent, we need to understand which segments we want to go after and uh and i think you know another of our clients uh, a global uh antivirus anti-malware software provider um they wanted to to target or go after the soft underbelly of the the competition and uh, so they we segmented the market based on uh, large pr surveys that we do for them and understood you know where they were where our clients was um, was was seen in the marketplace uh to to be stronger than the competition then segmenting the market to see who who was most profitable who they wanted to go after and then devising campaigns around just targeting those particular segments but i think it's um you know the, the, i suppose there's lots of examples of how we've worked um to the other end of the the b2b spectrum and specifically around sohos and smees uh one of our clients in the payment sector uh they had a a new payment solution they were an american company very successful over there but wanting to get into the uk and european marketplace and uh, they've been very unsuccessful uh in doing it so they carried out some research to really understand understand the needs of the 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 SME market out there you know the uh, the retail market the people that are selling things and need these payment solutions and and then on the back of that there was there was a big campaign I can't name the the provider but there was um there was a, a TV campaign uh which was very much talking to the fact that we understand you know the pains that you go through as small business owners that uh, you know do everything from you know look after your tax build the business make cups of tea uh, everything and 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 the TV campaign along with you know uh, aligned other marketing campaigns both online and offline were uh, were, were tied in based on that that whole research and the pains and the challenges that SMEs do face uh, in their day-to-day lives. So um, how, how would you go about actually setting up your market research? How would, how would you start? Where would you, where would you sort of start to dip your toe in the water? 
Well, I suppose the starting point is always with the with the client to uh, to get round the table to get that that diverse group of stakeholders involved to really understand from their individuals as well as the the larger company objectives of of what they're looking to do, um, and and from that you know you the, the key very much you know we talked about asking the right question to the right people, um, but it's it's all about scoping scoping the project. You know, is it one country specific or are we looking at pan-european or are we looking at north american or global um understanding any differences that they know of at, at the moment and and then starting to to then target which who who is the audience that we're going to speak to uh and plan it plan it out that way and then from that all all of it falls out in terms of okay are we looking to dig deeper are we looking to you know we might need more qualitative techniques therefore and and can we do that face to face or digitally or you know do we need to uh think of another way of getting these deeper insights or or are they looking to maybe in a thought leadership piece you know get some numbers behind it uh and therefore quantify it and and again how are we going to do that can we reach out on a panel in order to get these decision makers we have our in-house phone unit because we know that the tricky nature of especially trying to get uh different levels of the dmu uh on a panel you just can't do that that's for consumer research so uh, telephone is still the tool of business to uh, to conduct market research so yeah understanding the um understanding definitely the uh, the dmu and uh, and the audience there that w- would guide you and and then you talk around timelines and how quickly you might need to deliver that and uh, i think uh, you know sometimes sometimes that that is a problem sometimes you know we're brought to the the table with the uh, as an afterthought <laughs> to think you know well, how can we how can we develop some uh, some creative content when uh, timelines uh, are sometimes you know quite pressing and therefore it's it's that balance that we need to be able to understand looking to the future we know that there is a gap between b2b and b2c but looking at emotion which is where we kind of first started this episode with do you see emotion forming more of a part as we move forward in in the future now with marketing campaigns is it going to be something that just grows and grows and grows or do you think maybe actually we, we've kind of got to the point where we know what what's needed and what's required and, and it's now just a case of I, I suppose bolting on different aspects of it to that that part of your campaign uh, no, I think it will definitely grow uh, I, I mean I see these these emotions we talked up front didn't we about you know the the different emotions um, but b2b purchase decisions are are made by human beings who see the impact of, of those decisions in personal terms not just professional ones and i think you know emotions is very much key and uh, a trend at the moment uh but we're not going to change okay you know the digital world is evolving as well um but I think just understanding emotions uh, and especially understanding some of the things, you know, that we found out, you know, like B2B purchases are almost 50% more likely to buy a product uh, when they see a personal value for them in the form of confidence in their choice or or maybe even you know, positive impact on their career. And they're also eight times more likely to pay a premium for that product uh, if it taps into some of those emotions and and so I don't think it's going away. I mean, I think it's getting more and more important. And 
on the back of hopefully some of the the research that we've done you know understanding those those four key emotions that account for uh, the majority of uh, of that emotional response so that's trust uh trust driven by reliability expertise and ease of doing business uh confidence is the second one obviously having the resources to support the customer and the the brand reputation to put them at ease so trust and confidence are, you know closely aligned there but i think um two of two of them are very much tap into that personal aspect of uh, of decision making optimism is is the third uh, and you know based on that built on thought leadership and problem solving abilities being able to you know deliver against that and the final one is pride so driven by proactivity and ability to make that person look good in front of their their wider colleagues and and the the wider organization so the, there's these positive emotions of which you know tap into both the uh, the wider context of why they're doing it for the business but also personally for them my thanks to nick haig of b2b international you can find out more about nick and the work that b2b international do at their website b2binternational.com please like subscribe and share this podcast it really does help more people to find the show and thanks to those of you who have already done so thanks for listening to this episode of tech demand weekly i'll be back next week with more b2b content marketing advice